0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit CAC.org.
1: Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley.
0: And I'm Kirsten Oates.
1: Welcome to Turning to the Mystics.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Season 6 of Turning to the Mystics, where we're turning to the 14th century mystic Julian of Norwich and the book, her book Showings. So welcome, Jim.
1: Yes, good to start up again. It's wonderful.
0: Good to have our first dialogue. Um, today we're reflecting on your first talk on Julian's book Showings. And I just wanted uh, a little help, a little reminder of, of this book and what it, what it is, that it's um, focused on unpacking a vision she had. And so, yeah.
1: Yes. As a young woman, she uh, was critically ill near death and uh, living a devout Christian life. Uh, they called the priest to administer the last rites. And as he's holding up the crucifix, In this near-death kind of ecstatic state, she had an ecstatic, went into kind of an ecstasy and saw these very vivid images of Jesus dying on the cross. And she saw that it was given to her to understand the cross as love. Hmm. And so she was so moved by that, she felt that it called to live a life of solitude and prayer, living as a recluse in this little cell off to the side of a little church there in Norwich, England. So she wrote the short text, is kind of lays out these images, these showings, with little insights into each. Then the long text, over years later, she very carefully reflects in a more in-depth way, offering us spiritual direction. So people would come to her little window for spiritual guidance in her cell, and the other little window looked out on the altar so she could see the mass being celebrated. So by these writings, we're able to kind of join the people coming to the window for spiritual guidance. Mm-hmm. So she's writing out mm-hmm. these very carefully written uh, insights into the interior life, and uh, that was shoot that was her fidelity to the path as a mystic teacher.
0: Thank you for that. That's really helpful. And then in the first session, you reflected on chapter ten from the long text. Yeah. And I'm wondering why you chose chapter 10 to get us started.
1: Well, I could have chosen any chapter in the sense that every chapter is substantive. You know, it's intimate, it's clear, it uh, it sheds a light on our own spiritual path and the search for God and so on. But I chose chapter 10 because there's two things that happen in the chapter that are key to our series here. The first is she makes a distinction between seeking and contemplation. Mm. That is she sees seeking as the path of devotional sincerity, efficacious unto holiness. And then she says the seeking spills over, it can spill over into contemplation where it becomes mystical. So like all these teaching mystics are trying to help us discern that point, like how do we discern the birthing of a mystical depth dimension to our seeking, because sometimes the awakening of the mystical is very dramatic, like with her, uh, with the cross. But very often, actually, it's extremely subtle. It's very, mm-hmm. very delicate. So, how do we understand the nature of the mystical? Discern that it's happening to us, and how do we cooperate with it? And then, in the mystical, to see the mystical, then we uh, we circle back around, and. The the mystical then illumines the seeking. So she had these visions, but the reason her insights into the seeking are so uh, beautiful is they're being illumined by the mystical. And she helps us to see how that happens to us too. We can have a quickening. And then in the ordinariness of our day-by-day quiet time with God and daily life, we see that our ordinary experience is illumined by the moment of our quickening. I chose the, this chapter because it's so, I think it so helps people, it helps us to understand that mm. nature of our own path. That's why I chose it. And then in the next talk, which is the last half of that chapter, then she goes into the cross, mystery of the cross. So, if, uh, so the chapter has these two main parts to it. What we're looking at today in this first talk about devotional sincerity becoming mystical and then deepening devotional sincerity and in the next talk, the last half of the chapter, on the mystical dimensions of the cross in our life. So that's why I chose Wonderful. it. That's why I chose it.
0: Oh, that's so helpful. And I'm really interested to pursue both those parts of the text, The these two parts of the paths you described, the seeking and the contemplation. And would it be correct to say, Jim, there's a sentence that struck me um, in the second paragraph, and I wonder if this is outlines the seeking path. She says, So I saw him and I sought him, and I had him and lacked him, and this is and should be our ordinary undertaking in this life as I see it. Yeah. You you reflected on that. Yes, I did. Sentence. Beautiful. Yes. Like a rhythm. of. It's
1: a rhythm. And and I think what she's doing is when we sit and listen to her, she's helping us put words to our own experience. Yeah. That is, there was for us the very first moment God became personally real to us. like the pre- So I, I, I saw him. I interiorly realized God's presence, the awakening. And then as that initial way, and maybe it was a small child when it happened. It's so personal for each of us when that first quickening happens. Then it dissipates, and in, as it dissipated, it left a longing to abide in it. So I sought him, which is the path. Mm-hmm. And on this path of seeking, I had him. That right in the midst of the seeking, God grants another taste of the oneness of God that we're seeking. And then it dissipates, and I lack them. But the lack is only the deepening to renew the longing. And as we just keep living that way through the years of our life, it transforms us. Mm. It transforms us. So it's a key, I think it's a very helpful way to understand.
0: It's so beautiful, Uh, so simple.
1: Yeah.
0: And... uh, yeah, the the rhythm to it, that we don't always have that sense of complete connection with God, that it comes and it goes. And, yes. Yeah. Jim, this is just uh, reflecting on the seeking path, so we're not at the contemplative. So what what makes this kind of held at that seeking level rather than in the contemplative?
1: What keeps it held there?
0: Yeah, what, or what's the... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I put it this what's way. This is difference?
1: my sense of it. If there was nothing but the seeking... With devotional sincerity, that's God. That is, you know, that's that's a sincerely lived Christian life in the in the rhythms of how God sustains us and draws us and leads us, and then how that spills over into daily life, and how God is present in our daily living with others, ourselves, the world, and so on. So, uh, but then when the mystical happens, if it happens. Us. Mm-hmm. if the mystical happens then that's where she says once in my understanding I was let down into the bottom of the sea See? Mm. and how I present the reflection here is that on the surface of the water using the image of water like the sea where the winds blow this way and that we're, we're caught up in the shifts of the conditions of the circumstances that we're in you know you're going through your life I'm going through my life back and forth but when we pause for our quiet rendezvous with God, we can feel ourselves making a kind of a descent, a kind of a quiet descent into a, a qualitatively more intimate, deeper experience of and oneness with qualitatively deeper dimensions of the depths of God. We can feel that deepening. And we can feel that deepening happening in our Lexio in our meditatio and in our prayer. And then it can get to a place like the bottom of the ocean where we drop down into the bottomless abyss of God's infinite love and our oneness with God in love forever. See. So from all eternity, I say our life is hidden with Christ and God from all eternity in this Trinitarian language that she uses, that God the Father God is origin, is eternally expressing God as the Word, is eternally contemplating Himself in the Word, and is eternally contemplating you, hidden with Christ and God forever. So when God creates you, creates me, creates all of us onto the earthly plane, here in the the waters of the the world, God, God creates us so that along this path of finding, and seeking, and losing, and so on, we might follow this love path, God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What the mystical is, is that it's a foreshadowing of what happens when we die, and pass to the veil of death, and we return back to the oceanic depths of God, because everything in God is God. This is the divinity of us. So when she drops down into the bottom of the ocean, she drops down, She's putting. A, she's using a visual metaphor for a state of unitive consciousness or divine union, in which in some mysterious way, it's just God in all directions, see? Mm. It's, it's God's non-distinction from us in love. And we're obscurely granted a foretaste of that abiding. We were, we we're all abiding in God forever. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about incremental realizations of non-incremental generosity of love. That all the while, God's infinitely giving the infinite love of God away as our very life. But there's incremental degrees to which we realize that, Mm
0: -hmm. which is
1: the path. But there there can be certain moments of oneness, like a mystical oneness, which is the the life at the bottom of the ocean, quote, quote. Mm -hmm. It's that. And then when it passes, that's where we return back up here again. And when we turn back up here again, it's illumined by that gift of oneness. Maybe it was very dramatic, like with her, but maybe it was so subtle, subtle. Thomas Merton, remember, talked about turning to see a flock of birds descending mm-hmm. and sensing in their descent that the world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. And, and Teresa in the fourth mansion talks about sitting there in prayer, and suddenly you realize your heart's being enlarged to divine proportions where John of the Cross talked the passage through a dark night, so there was this this touch, and then the sincerity of our seeking is illumined by that touch, and that's how I think she helps us understand this.
0: So, Jim, on the seeking path, uh, back to to uh, Julian talking about the seeking path, she says, "I wanted to see more. I was answered in my reason. If God wishes to show you more." God will be your light. You need none but him, for I saw him and I sought him. And so even on the seeking path, there's this sense of, of wanting more. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is my sense of this. It's another subtle insight she gives us. The image I have is, let's say we're, we're sitting in prayer. It could happen to us any time. And we're granted the sense of God's presence like we interiorly see God, or we realize God's presence. And in that little glimpse of seeing God, we we, want to see more. See, if the little glimpse was so wonderful, think how wonderful it would be to walk through the door, like go into more, see. And so I wanted to see more. But then it says, well, the reason you don't, you're not seeing more, because God doesn't want you to see more yet. Because if God wanted you to see more, you'd see more. And therefore, you're to trust where you are. Mm. Why? Because God's presence is completely given to you, and the love of God's given to you completely as where you are, not where you think you're supposed to be. Mm. And when you do see more, God will be the light in which you will see more. So it's like learning to, uh, where we are, wherever we are, it's, it's already infinitely more than enough yeah because it's the love of God sustaining us right where we are like this And then it the more happens in God's good time and the sincerity, yes. like it keeps breaking through and so forth.
0: Such a comforting thought and when I hear you say that, Jim, it's so comforting to me in my being just to hear those words they 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 ring true, but they also kind of offer a sense of relief or um, contentment or, you
1: know. you know how it helps me, too, is I, I think working with trauma, people in trauma, or people dying in hospice. And even in our own life sometimes, we get caught up in things that are very a lot of struggle.
0: Yeah.
1: And to, to have a kind of a trust inside, although we can't feel it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to know that God's, this is where the cross is going to come in later, to look at the mystery of the cross, is that God is unexplainably one with me in the intimate details of my struggle mm. and there's i'm being sustained you know in the midst of it and then uh when the, when the clouds clear and the sunlight comes back and the, we're, then we have more experiential access we know or have more exponential access to what's infinitely always there even in our darkest hour yeah. we're being sustained i think it's a consoling thing to see it that way.
0: I'm curious about this idea of the wanting more, wanting to see more, and uh, is it the case that when God grants this kind of this graced event where we have a a deeper experience of God, does God plant with that graced event this seed of desire, this wanting more?
1: So I think the paradox is, let's say that, An insight of Julian is that our longings for God is an echo of God's longings for us. Mm -hmm. And so God wants us to realize that where we presently are is more than enough because God's oneness with us is incarnate where we are. But God also wants us to want more. God wants us not to be content with anything less than an infinite union with the infinite love of God, which is our destiny. It's just that as we go along the path, we have a deeper understanding of what it means to want more. Mm. It's not the more, like qualitatively more, but it's an unexplainable more, of being unexplainably accessed by God ever more deeply where we are. So I, that's how I understand it.
0: And it's almost like that's who we are then, that, that yes, the right, way yes. you started that is saying that that's the, right. the, the longing for God is God's longing for us, which is... Is that just, that's our likeness to God. It's kind of part of our being, our natural way of being. That,
1: that's right. And that's where I thought I would read this passage um, in a book I did on Merton, Merton's Palace of Nowhere. I, I quote Johannes Metz, M-E-T-Z. Oh, yeah. And Johannes yeah. Metz were a lovely little book called Poverty of Spirit. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, they shall inherit the kingdom of God. And um, in Metz's language, it so echoes Julian and all the mystics, really. Metz writes, if man, again, excuse the sexist language, before they knew Mm -hmm. better, humanity. If man leaves his dreamy conceptions aside and focuses on his naked poverty, when the mask fall away and the core of his being is revealed, it soon becomes obvious that he is religious by nature. The religion is the secret dowry of his being. In the midst of his existence, there unfolds the bond religio, which ties him to the infinitely transcendent mystery of God, the insatiable interest in the absolute that captivates him and underlines his poverty. At the core of his existence, a transcendental neediness holds sway. It spurs and supports all of his longings and desires, works itself out through them, but is never exhausted in them. I like that. Wow. So, Julian, all these mystics, they touch us with this. It's so beautiful what they're saying, but it's evocatively beautiful. See? Yes. And we're drawn by And we know it's beautiful because it's true, but we can't grasp it but the very recognition of the beauty of it is itself the mystery, giving itself to us as the recognition that it's beautiful. So it's like an unconsummated longing that keeps unexpectedly consummating itself in the depths of our longing. That's my sense of it.
0: I love that piece you read, uh, I think it said, in our nakedness, we're all religious. and, And it just shows the value of all the religions across time and across yeah. societies and across like that, that reveals that longing um, coming through in whatever context the person finds himself in.
1: I think to, you know, John Henry Cardinal Newman, St. John Newman, he said often in life our, our failures end up being more important than our successes mm. because our successes tend to reinforce our illusions about ourselves. Our mm-hmm. failures, we despair or we go deeper. If this is up to me, it's not looking good. But in my poverty, I'm being unexplainably sustained, and God's revealing myself to myself as infinitely rich with God in the midst of my helplessness. I also think, however, our successes also enrich us, in that in the successes, in conditions conducive to joy, You can break through the high, high joy of God that transcends the conditions conducive Ah, to joy. And we know this present joy, the the beloved's embrace or the sun setting, is an incarnate echo of God's infinite love for us. So at both ends, I think God kind of accesses us this way. Yes.
0: Yes, I like the second idea much more. Oh, me than too.
1: <laughs> we all do. <laughs>
0: Even though I, I know the first is true, and there's a certain poetic beauty as you say it, but boy, in real life, that's yeah. that's yeah, it can be a rough place when you yeah, learning through that way of. You know, another thing I think things. is
1: important is you know Julian led a sheltered light. I mean, she led a quiet life. It was a poor, quiet, simple life. So, I my sense is that God wants us. To have conditions conducive to happiness. God wants us to be a nonviolent, nurturing person, see? grateful for the gifts of life, our family, the safety of our loved ones, and so on. God wants it. That, that, that too is the gift of God. It's mm-hmm. just that it doesn't lie in our power to always live in conditions conducive to happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and therefore, when that happens, we're moved by God to heal the suffering that's present. We're grounded in a peace that's not dependent on the outcome of our effort. Because the peace of God in which everything depends permeates the unforeseeability of things, regardless of how they turn out. So I think we, mm-hmm. we all want, I do, peace and security and happiness. God created us to want that. yeah, And to, to do our best to protect it and extend it. It's just we're being invited to know that there are times in life where it starts to unravel on us. And even now, if we're blessed with conditions conducive to happiness, all over the world, there are thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters who are not so blessed. And so we're walking with this mystery of death and resurrection, birth and joy. You know, the walk in the walk of God present in the world as it is. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment.
0: This idea of the seeking path and this desire to want more, and Julian says, uh, and you've been teaching us as well, that uh, it's up to God, that you know, the more will be in the light of God, God will grace the event. But is there any effort we can make towards the more?
1: Yes. You know, the Buddhists talk about right effort, meaning effective effort, graced effort. There's different ways to put it. One is what we've expressed here is um, what is it that love is asking of me? And how can I, under the promptings of grace, be faithful to what love is asking of me? To be more loving towards my own body, toward my own brokenness, toward be more supportive and understanding and honest with the people that I live with, with nature, with the world, and so we, we have to actively lean into it. As We have to actively be saying yes to this. So it's passive in that we receive it as grace. Yes. But, it, but it's actively passive in that we're actively choosing to be receptively open, you know, to what love is asking of us. In the, whether it be in the silence of prayer or sitting down to have a conversation with someone that we live with. We're always kind of receptively open to keep leaning into it, you know, to be present to it.
0: So it's almost like if we respond to what we have been given with the level of love we know from what we've encountered, that effort opens us towards the future encounter of it, deepening into because because we're more in the flow of uh, a level of awareness and. A, And We're getting deeper into the level we've been given, so then new levels can open up potentially if God's willing.
1: Yes. One way I put it is everyone listening to these podcasts is on this path. Anyone who listens and is moved by it, we're kind of contemplative community together. And then we can say, how has it come to pass that I've come to be the man or woman that I am capable of being receptive to or appreciative of such things. And is it not true if we look back over our shoulder back in the day, when we were first awakened, we were not nearly as sensitive as we are today, see? Mm -hmm. Not nearly as responsive, not nearly as it. And so we're we're, we're in the midst of a journey not of our own making. And all that circuitous, winding, path of this unfolding that, we, that God has begun this work and us will bring it to completion. The arc of our transformation is the arc of, of this, uh, the, the sustained sincerity of receptive openness, the abandonment to divine providence. Jesus called it, I came to do the will of the Father,
0: hmm.
1: which is the trustworthy nature of what's happening. God's present in the unfoldings of life, even if you're hanging on the cross.
0: Yeah. Amazing! It is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, Jim, yesterday when we were prepping for this talk, you pointed something out to me. Uh, it's the beginning of where Julian turns towards contemplation and it's in paragraph three in, in this tenth chapter and it starts with, Once my understanding was let down into the bottom of the sea, and just that the, that she uses my understanding. Can can you unpack that a little bit?
1: Yes. See how I put it too is one. There's the experience of God's oneness with us. But then there's the understanding of God's oneness with us. What the understanding is is I want to use an example from psychotherapy, working with trauma. A person is seeking to be delivered from the internalized effects of trauma. And in that transformative challenging process, as they kind of kind of feel what they need to feel, remember what they need to feel, what's granted to them is insight. It's what's granted to them is an understanding of the suffering. And they start to understand or see clarity into the nature of their confusion. That intimate depth-like quality of understanding. See, I think to the ego to understand is to comprehend conceptually, as I get it, see? I, I comprehend it. But this is an understanding. It's a deeper way to understand what it means to understand. It's to intimately realize the truth of your own awakening heart in ways that are ultimately unexplainable. It's it's a kind of the depth dimension of contemplative wisdom, I think. Like we were doing with Merton. You know, I know know it, I know it, I know that I know it. The trouble is it's I who know that I know it. (laughs) And when I try to tell you what it is that I know that I know, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Because it's the intimately realized sense of what cannot be explained. And that's the language of the mystic. It's also the depth dimension of everything Jesus says. It's the contemplative understanding of Scripture. This deep understanding, I think, in the heart—the heart. Yeah, that's my sense of it.
0: I was also struck by the way she. This this is like a in the way you describe Lexio, so that she's going through this seeking path and being being precise about it and then out of nowhere comes this imaginative image and and is that it reminds me of what you taught us with guigo
1: yeah this is my understanding this is another big thing with let's say there was for us the original i found him and then i sought him and i so and i lacked him and then let's say in the in the midst of that devotional sincerity there was for us a, a mystical quickening however it happened like unexplainable oneness then the unexplainable oneness renews the sincerity or illumines the sincerity of our seeking. So we sit and, uh, you know, open the scriptures, whatever, we sit and seek. Then in the midst of our ongoing sincerity of the seeking, suddenly precipitously we're granted another understanding. That is, all of a sudden we're dropped down again into the bottom of the sea in the midst of our seeking. And I think that's how it works, really. You know how it works, and then when that dissipates, we return again to the seeking. We return again to the seeking, and so these two—that is, the mystical depth-like oneness, and the seeking of the heart illumined by devotional sincerity—are constantly in an interplay with each other. You know, they're they're constantly in kind of a a, a synchronous kind of unity. With each other. And then you get to a point where you realize that even the slightest degree of seeking is itself the fullness of the depth. You know, It's the depth that's given, like the incomprehensible stature of simple things, like a breath or looking out the window. Everything has this unexplainable divine quality to it. And that habituated sensitivity can grow and grow over time, mm-hmm. I
0: think. And that's really when you're in the... Con- You've, you've crossed over yeah. into the contemplative when it arises back in the ordinary.
1: I think so. I think it ripens. That is, you, there's a, Over time, each in our own way, we become well-seasoned in such things as it becomes an habitual under, underlying sensitivity to this oneness and also the underlying sensitivity to the oneness that's there and all that disrupts our sensitivity to it. Like the dog's <laughs> making noise. I have to let the dog out. So, so at one level, it is a dog. It is disruptive. You yes. Know, and there's hammering outside. It really is disruptive. We're just a human being. And yet, although it's disruptive, it's not just disruptive. Because everything is of God. Everything has its part to play. You know? Otherwise, we'd be trying to get, get, get it perfect. You're lying on our deathbed, uh, hoping that we're dying perfectly. We'd hope we exit well. But probably not. You know what I mean, We're tubes and everything. Who knows? But God's the infinity of the intimate details of our passing. You know, which makes it holy. Makes it that everything's like that.
0: You've spoken a lot about being with Maureen in her last breath. It's like the last breath was perfect. Yeah. Yes. Because it was the return to God. But the rest of it was pretty difficult. Oh, it's was horrible. It? Alzheimer's yeah. is
1: just so many terrible moments having to bolt the window so she wouldn't jump out the window or just jump over the... It was just seizures, and she went through so much. And uh, I was right there with her and everything. But at the very end, a hospice bed out in the living room, when she exhaled and didn't inhale, like death is like a cessation. Hmm. So our first act as an infant when we're born is to inhale. We go through all of our days inhaling, exhaling, inhaling, and our last act is we exhale. But when we exhale, we're inhaling ourselves into God. See, who's inhaling herself into us, and that, and so there's something about death, like life and death, and the giving and the receiving. I'm so glad I got to be with her and see that, and like the holiness, uh, and then to sense her deathless presence in it, and uh, just, yeah, yeah, really.
0: I'm curious, Jim, for Julian, she has she seems to have these uh, connections to God, this these oneness experiences very much in her imagination. So the the showings and then even this example of saying once my understanding was let down into the bottom of the sea. And I'm just curious, is that a place we can experience this sense of oneness in our imagination?
1: That's a very good point, actually. You know, in these mystical traditions, there's the apophatic and the cataphatic. The apophatic is the, the hiddenness of it, like John of the Cross. Oh, dark night lovelier, oh, night lovelier than the dawn. The hiddenness, like the disappearance of the felt sense of God's presence. Mm-hmm. It's big in Eckhart, also, when we do Meister Eckhart later. But also in Eckhart and all the mystic is the cataphatic, which is the manifestation, like the transfiguration of Jesus, and so imaginary reality, the, the imaginary, is actually like a living icon of God present as an image. I think these, these mystic teachers are like this. You get this feeling that they very skillfully use images. You know, they bring up experiential metaphors because they see the metaphor is like a visual parable. It then allows us to recognize in the words something beyond words. And I think also doing dream work with people. Some dreams are like that. It's like a numinous dream. One young analyst said when we're going through some deep thing in life, we're struggling with a paradox. Like if this were a dream, what would it mean? And so she's so good at holding up these images this way as kind of luminous metaphors of God. And then it arcs over into our imagination you know, it communicates itself like this, you know. That's a big thing right there. Yeah.
0: So it may be in a dream or even, you know, in a vision that comes to us in our imagination that we may be drawn into an experience of oneness with God that we might have. It's not, it's not just out in nature or witnessing the birth of a baby. It could be in our imagination.
1: Yeah, let me give an example. This comes to me, Sasha, sure. It was this man I used to see, and early it was for spiritual direction. He, it, was, it was some therapy too. And He was a physician. And um, he died of cancer. And he asked for me to come visit him in his home. And his wife left so he could be alone. And we were in his bedroom. And he was lying there on his back. We were talking. And he was in very aggressive treatment for the cancer, and it wasn't working. And I had to be away for a week, giving a week-long contemplative retreat somewhere and so I told him I said you know uh, I think when I get back next week I could get a call from your wife that you would die when I was away or I'll get a call from you that the treatment kicked in but I get a feeling in all these talks we've had together over the years it's the same thing hmm. and he agreed with me wow and he was looking over my shoulder Instead of looking at me, he was looking over, lying there in bed. And I turned around and looked over my shoulder. And here right outside the window was a trellis full of flowers. And there was a hummingbird hovering in the flowers. Wow. And we just turned around and looked at each other and didn't say anything. That moment, do I mean, that's like the divinity of that moment. And sometimes we can learn that with people. There are certain moments in our life that are like that. You know, like they're a numinous, magi- like the image is is uh, the presence of God being imaged forth and given to us like that.
0: Something poignant about it being in the realm of someone dying and the simplicity, like you said, you go back to the ordinariness. You the do. ordinary hummingbird, the ordinary flowers, but now they're luminous and speaking everything that you're talking about with him.
1: And another thing I feel too, you know, Uh, One Zen master once said, know that when you're boiling water for tea, the boiling water is your life. It's boiling away and disappearing. (laughs) And then you start to realize it's true that certain moments are startling that way. But then you get to a certain point that the simplest act is like that. You know, to stand up or sit down, uh, A child runs by out the street, you look out the window and the child runs, that everything has about it that what you can get sensitized to that,
0: yes, yeah. Well, even that example of the bird and the flower—they weren't doing anything but being themselves. Exactly. Yeah.
1: He and I weren't doing anything but being ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: And there we were.
0: <laughs> wow. You know,
1: and he died the next day.
0: Oh
1: yeah, wow! Well, yeah. he got back. His wife called me and said he had died, Joe. You know?
0: The uh, on the mystical path, if we we long for the mystical, this idea of. You, you talked about calibrating our hearts. It's been a theme of these podcasts. Um, but ways we can calibrate our hearts to be open to this mystical. And one of the ways is to read Julian and re- read this book.
1: And see, this is contemplative lexio Divina. We read her. Um, she's so challenging because she's so disarmingly simple. She'll say something in one sentence, and then in the lexio and taking that in, when we reflect upon it, we realize we need to just sit with that or ask God to help us understand it and kind of stay with it and go back to it. So by kind of quietly reading Julian, because she's talking out of this very deep place, it accesses that same place in us, And even though a lot of it may be obscure, we may realize a lot of it's going right over our shoulder. It's like listening to music, or it's like drinking water. We're kind of getting, it's the words that take us beyond words into certain moments of our own quiet and so on. And I think that's, that's why I say if if we read Julian, if we read her words with the same intention in which we wrote, she wrote them, we Mm. meet each other. And she wrote to help us experience and respond to God's presence in our life. And when we read her with the same intention, we meet her deathless presence that way, guiding us on the path. uh, That's how the lineage is handed on, I think.
0: So this idea that the effort at the mystical level, we can't make the mystical experiences happen, but we can be on this journey of calibrating our hearts to people who, are, who have had these mystical experiences, who speak from them. They help us kind of refine ourselves.
1: Yeah. We'll put another way. We, we say sometimes in the series, we can't make them happen, but we can assume the inner stance that offers the least resistance to being overtaken by them. Mm-hmm. So lovers, they can't make their moments of oceanic oneness happen. But together they've learned the stance that offers the least resistance to be overtaken again. The poet can't make poetry happen. The one devoted to healing can't make healing happen. But we can act, and that's the practice. Mm-hmm. See our practice. And what is that stance? It's the stance that we spontaneously took when the awakening occurred. See, it's childlike, amazed, open, empty-handed, receptive, and. Uh, And so the practice kind of stabilizes itself in that, exactly.
0: And just back to the seeking sentence she offered, uh, so I saw him and I sought him and I had him and I lacked him. In the mystical dimension, is, is that rhythm still present but operating differently or that rhythm ends? What's your sense of that?
1: My sense is this is a mysterious thing, really. I think that when the mystical awakening actually happens, seeking ceases because nothing's missing. Mm. And in a way, it's a, it's a foreshadowing of glory when we pass through the veil of death. Nothing missing anywhere. Then when the moment passes, we're, we're given an habitual underlying sense that nothing is nothing's missing ever, and yet it is missing because the dog needs to go out. <laughs> you know, what I mean? there's hammering outside. I gotta go fix lunch. I have a headache. I'm not in a good mood today. I, I can't find my damn notes on Revelations of Divine Love. <laughs> it was like that. And so, it, it's seeking goes on, and so it goes on like that. I think it's kind of a, an habituated simplicity, or mm-hmm. simplicity of the rhythms of uh, everything has its own part to play yeah. in the pattern of the day. Also I see it.
0: <laughs> so. Making sure we say Nor- Norwich correctly. <laughs> yes,
1: not Norwich. Norwich, yes.
0: Well, I think that we've gotten through all my questions for today.
1: I think your questions are helpful because they're the kind of questions that the of seekers ask. Yes. You're like spiritual direction. They're like real questions. So I think when they're able to listen to us dialogue, it touches on things they themselves as seekers are asking and that's how it gets over time gets clearer and clearer you know as we get habituated to to these things
0: yes well I certainly hope it's helpful and uh and then at the end of the series we we actually get questions from people listening as well which is incredibly helpful it is to to hear from from people who are listening so well season six very exciting and uh I'm enjoying Julian more than I thought I would. I, I this that chapter with the seeking and the contemplation. It's so deep and rich and amazing. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I say this. I think I don't know if one of the talks, uh, maybe the first one, I can't remember, is that um, asking the listeners to be patient with me because the previous mystics—Merton, Teresa, of Avalon, John of the Cross, Guigo the Cloud—I've been very immersed in them for years. And I've known Julian of her for years. I was at her hermitage twice. I gave a retreat there in Norwich and so on. But I'm, in, I, I'm new with her, you know, I mean, to absorb her, to sit and absorb her. But I'm, I, I'm reminded as I sit with her, just what an amazing woman she is. I mean, what a gifted, t- you know, the, the, it's so lucid and pure. It's, it's just, she's, uh, just kind of amazing. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, she is very
0: beautiful. Well, thanks for today, and I'll look forward to our next dialogue.
1: Yes, me too.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward/voicemails All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness. Deepen your prayer practice and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources such as publications, podcasts, email series and events at www.cac.org.